From KCRW, this is Greater L.A. It's the show that connects you to the people and places of Southern California. Hi there, I'm Steve Chiatakis. You hear that? It's the Pacific Ocean, but we're not talking Malibu or Santa Monica. Those are sounds from Katsuura in Japan. Now why, you ask, is Greater L.A. in Japan? Well, because in these times... When you can go to just about any grocery store and grab an avocado from South America or fresh mozzarella from Italy or a fish, yes, from Japan, sometimes we forget where the story of these foods from far away began. KCRW's Juliana Mayo went to Japan to see where one fish, the kinmidai, comes out of the water and how it makes its way to a plate on one of the most exclusive tables in Los Angeles. And here she is with the tale. Katsuura is a small port town on the Pacific. It is green, so very green, with dramatic cliffs that meet a crystal clear Pacific Ocean. And I'm here because it's Kinmidai season. Kinmidai. 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 Kinmidai is a 14-inch long-ish bright red fish with huge glossy golden eyes. They are everywhere here. There's a framed taxidermied fish waiting for you when you get off the train. Billboard ads for charter boats to take you fishing for them are all over the town. They're on murals. They're on menus. It's like the patron saint of this town. I get in and head to the port as the fishermen bring in their Kinmidai Hall for the day. There, I meet a man named Mikami on the dock who speaks a little English. He says he spent some time in Long Beach. But I'm dubious because he didn't get my Snoop Dogg reference. I ask if I could come on his boat. That is a big nope. Oh, Japanese customer. Yeah. Female, not on the boat. So I make do watching the fish get loaded into ice-packed styrofoam boxes and stacked on pallets so they can begin their journey into Tokyo. Once the fish are loaded up, the fishermen line the dock as the sun sets and cast out their lines. Having sent their money fish off, they're now trying to catch some mackerel for dinner. Some of the kinmidai hit the road in trucks to go to auction. Others get loaded onto the train to go to restaurants to be served tonight. I hop on the train with those guys who are headed back to Tokyo. The fish who are sold at auction end up here at Tsujiki Market, a bustling, crowded joint where I meet up with a man named Junki Imori, who buys the fish at auction here to sell to importers in LA. He shows me around. This time, I have a superstar interpreter named Rika Takeuchi to help. There are fishermen which uh, they fish in a large amount, a uh, mass quantity, so that they can sell to large supermarkets and other uh, mass retailers. So it's not individual fishermen that do the fish. Junki mm. loves fish. He's been in the business for over eight years, getting up before dawn, all in the service of fresh fish, which is not always a clean business, as he notes. And so, and after that, they process the fish. They take out the guts and everything. So that takes uh, like, like a half day or so, and that's, and after that, it, it's like that in the store. Okay. 
Cleaning the fish helps them stay fresh longer as they travel, which is very important to Junki. He ships three times a week to LA. So I, usually the restaurant business is very big in, in the week, on the weekends and busy on the weekends. So that's why I do, I do the buying on Thursday, make sure that it arrives, uh, the lot arrives on Friday so that they can prepare for their uh, restaurants on the weekends. The next day, having been cleaned and repacked in Junkie's freezing cold warehouse, the Kinmidai hit the next stop on their journey, a flight from Haneda Airport to and LAX. They sent it out from first market to Haneda and Haneda to LAX, which takes about 48 hours to 60 hours. This is Kawai Toshi, an importer at Lux Seafood on Alameda in downtown LA. He's hard at work unloading fish-filled pallets for some of the 300 restaurants he supplies in L.A. It's extra busy as chefs breeze in to pick up their fish for the weekend. He's been in the business for decades and is impressed by the changes he's seen to L.A.'s dining scene. The restaurant spaces are getting smaller and smaller, counter only, using wooden cedar counter. So it feels so much like being in Japan. And I think Los Angeles is experiencing very, very good Japanese food culture at the moment. Um, now the Kinmidai has picked up a new name on this side of the Pacific. In English, it's called a splendid Alfonsino. Confusingly, this is not how it's referenced on menus. By the time it gets to a menu, it will be known as Bream. And at last, it's time to eat. The fish has made it to one of LA's most exclusive underground supper clubs, Wolf's Mouth in East Hollywood. A small house with a large communal dining table that seats 22, and an open kitchen manned by three very busy people. I've known Craig Thornton, the chef at Wolf's Mouth, for a long time. His approach to cooking this fish is involved. So we take the bones and the head of the fish and we wash them really, really well in cold water and let any sort of like impurities come out. So that way it's like a really clean, clear flavor. And then we make a broth out of that with some miso, sake, mirin, um, a little bit of shiokoji. Uh, and then, so that's like- Craig's as serious about this fish as everyone else who helped it along the way wanting to make the long trip worth it for both the fish and his diners. As he plates the once kinmidai, now bream, he walks me through the dish. So here you go, we have steamed bream, shiso oil, a bream and sake broth, some daikon and Asian pararoshi, and then a fritter that we made out of the bream belly with a little bit of pickled ginger and a shiso tartar sauce topped with a little bit of freeze-dried scallion. This is now the third course in a six-course prefix dinner that goes for about 185 bucks. Some of the diners have waited months for a spot at this table, and they are here to enjoy themselves. <laughs> Dear listener, I am here to tell you it was delicious. For KCRW from Katsuura, Tokyo, DTLA, and East Hollywood, 
I'm Juliana Mayo. If you'd like to see images from Juliana's wild fish chase, head on over to our website, kcrw.com slash GLA. Introducing the KCRW Donation Car, designed to be recycled. This first-of-its-kind vehicle will save you time, space, and hassle by disappearing. Enjoy the luxury and comfort of turning your underused car into a donation worth hundreds, even thousands of dollars. The KCRW Donation Car, already in your garage, driveway, or on cinder blocks outside your house. Act now at kcrw.com cars. More now of Greater L.A. from KCRW. I'm Steve Chitakis, and dread of all dread, let's head to what some refer to as that concrete horseshoe from hell. LAX is an airport, a mature aviation complex that has successfully related itself to the people it serves by viewing them as individuals. And in reaching its maturity, it is suffering growing pains that seem somewhat more than normal. That's what I always get when I go to LAX, feeling like an individual. Anyway, a little snapshot of a 1970 promotional video for LAX. And those growing pains that he's talking about, well, it's basically been the last 50 years, as the airport has dealt with way more passengers, traffic chaos, and a lack of mass transit options. But change is happening now, with more light rail stations opening up soon, and an above-ground rail called a people mover that will whisk you around LAX's nine terminals and transportation hubs as well. The people mover won't just be any people mover, though. It is L.A., after all. The airport has now commissioned seven artists to produce video installations at selected stations. And we're talking to a couple of them today. First, we have Alex Prager, who's a photographer and filmmaker, L.A. native as well. Alex, welcome to you. Hi, thank you. you. You've been flying in and out of LAX your whole life. You know what it can be like, very hectic. It can be, you know, it's one of the 10 busiest airports in the world. So how... How will your relationship with LAX influence what your piece is going to be like? Well, um, my my work has always been very much about people, so it's a perfect project for my interests. Um, I love people in all their little strange and unique details, and it's a perfect place to watch people and to just see all the unusual, awkward ridiculous and absurd um, aspects of life. When, I mean, the thing about people traveling is, you know, there are so many different reasons that people travel. Most people like go on vacation or whatever, but some people go home to see their families or some people are headed, you know, on a business trip or whatever it may be. I always love going to the airport, actually. I know, I know a lot of people dislike it, but it's a time that I can really... Uh, become really private inside myself and just observe and and really take it in without thinking too much about it. And I, I always end up getting really emotional at airports because I watch, um, you know, it's a, it's a great place to just watch humanity go by. Yeah, looking at, at some of your work and photographs, I mean, I, I see bright, vivid colors, looks surreal, looks really dreamy. When you think about that dream quality, you know, that's what people think of LA, or at least if they're flying into town from from somewhere else. How do you feel about this idea of LA that outsiders have, that people who've never been here have, versus what LA really is? 
Well, <clears throat> LA has always been sort of a, it's, it's just this city that always, it needs artists to constantly mold and shape it more than any other city to me. And that's why I have this love-hate relationship with LA. It's like, it's, it's beautiful and it's ugly and it's, and it's heartbreaking. It's, and it's, and it, it can fulfill any dream you have if you persist long enough. It's just, it's, it's everything. Um, I wonder how you capture that though, you know, like, because again, these, a lot of folks who come to LAX are either first timers or they don't live here. They don't see the actual reality, as I said, about LA. And so how do you capture that in art for somebody? Because the airport's your first impression, right? If you've never been here before. Yeah. How do you capture, how do you capture the city? How do you, how do you broadcast that to, to people? I don't know. It's just like, it's a, it's a really beautiful and joyful city but it's it goes through the biggest peaks and valleys um i think of any other city it's it's just constantly trying to redefine itself and there's a constant i search for a, a new identity and i mean i love it i it, it's it's very it's a very dramatic city in that it's a, it's a, it's really about its its people shaping and creating it constantly I understand that you have uh, an exhibit in New York that sort of portrays L.A., right? Is that what's going on? Yeah, it's about Los Angeles, but it's also about the universal um, connectivity of the human heart and humanity and, you know, what we've all experienced. It's at Lehman Maupin Gallery in New York till uh, the middle of March right now. Well, I can't wait to see your work here in L.A. at LAX. Alex Prager, photographer, filmmaker, good luck with the piece. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you so much for having me. All right, so also joining us now is Garrett Bradley, an artist and Oscar-nominated director. Garrett, welcome to you. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Congratulations on getting this commission, too. Um, oh, thanks. You went to UCLA for grad school, so you spent some time in L.A. You're now based in New Orleans. How, how are you going to approach this, this commission? Because, you know, I mean, airports kind of look alike in, in many places, <laughs> don't they? Yeah, they do. I mean, you know, Los Angeles, I mean, LAX is, I think that there's like 88 million people you know, a year that move in and out of that space. And I'm really just kind of excited to think about what can happen, especially right now in a moment where like being in groups and being in crowds can be something that's difficult. Do all those millions of people that you just mentioned going in and out of LAX, and, and the numbers vary, obviously. Yeah. Does that factor into the way you approach your work? Mm, that's a good question. I mean, not really. I think I think if you think about how many people may or may not see something that you make, it's it's a little daunting, you know. Um, I think another way of putting it would be to say that like we're all human. I think I think with that in mind, you know, and and also being able to think about like movement and and you know all the different places that people are coming from and going. I mean, there's there's so many stories um, that exist in that building um, that could be tapped into, you know, in interesting ways and, and uh, in a unique way that I don't think is as possible if you're in, I don't know, any kind of private space, you know, like in a theater, you know, or a museum. Or you know, it's, it's say MoCA, right? There's right. there's a show of your work at MoCA downtown right now that ends, when's it end? Next week, right? It's like February 19th. Yeah. Yeah, I'm really excited. I mean, I, it's been such an honor to to be able to show my work in Los Angeles. You know, I mean, it's such it's a massive city and it's a diverse city. Um, and it's also going through, I think, a pretty, you know, large transition, you know, and I think there's a lot of healing that the city of Los Angeles um, needs, you know, that the country needs, that the world needs. Your films and documentaries, you know, they deal with issues like class and race 
and history. Um, I think that LAX and airports in general are sort of a meeting point, right, of everybody. Like, uh, and and they're just it's a hodgepodge of people from all over the world, and they're all gathered in one place. I mean, does that do you think you know differ from what we see? Well, where you are in New Orleans right now or, or Los Angeles or any other place where things can be a little more segregated, where people sort of congregate in their own, you know, in their own sort of groove. Mm. Yeah, I mean, you know, I would say I would say actually that airports are to a certain extent sort of the epicenter of hierarchy. And that's not so much the airport itself, but I would say how people travel is this sort of this class system of the comfort plus and the plus plus and the extra plus triple plus, you know, I mean, that's the world that we live in right now. And, you know, airports are not an exception to that. I think what's exciting about the possibility um, of an airport is thinking about it actually more, even if it's private space, but really trying to approach it as a public space, wherein those hierarchies can be dismantled to a certain extent through, um, something that's soothing, you know, something that can make your experience to and from, those hierarchies better. Will this be video? Will this be what, I mean, what kind of work are we talking about here? Yeah, it'll be video and it'll be something that someone could watch over and over again, or, or maybe just get one second of, you know, and I think that there's also a really fun challenge around that as well that I'm looking forward to. Art in so many forms. And we, we thank you. Congratulations, Garrett Bradley, artist and Oscar nominated director and one whose work will be displayed at LAX soon. We thank you for your time, Garrett. Thanks so much. LA International Airport, where the big jet engines roll. LA International Airport, I won't see him anymore. Well, from the beauty inside of LAX to the constant chaos outside its checkpoints, heading to the airport is never fun. You know this. And whether you're picking someone up or dropping them off, it is a surefire way to lose your cool. But in the spirit of love, Valentine's Day is right around the corner. We asked you about a special kind of connection. Who would you make that treacherous journey for? And really, what makes them LAX worthy? I love telling this story. It's a, quite the romance. Uh, we met and we were friends for a little bit and I kind of wanted to make a move and she given me signs so I was like, oh my gosh, I gotta, I gotta do something. Um, and yeah, she's just about to leave on this trip. And so I'm just, you know, getting more nervous, more nervous. And it's like the Friday before, um, like our company takes a big break, and so we won't we won't be seeing each other for a month. And so I'm like, oh, I gotta I gotta do something. And so we go we go out to this jazz live jazz music. Afterwards, we go to a bar, and I we get in my car and I drive her to her car. And this is like the last possible second that I can do anything. And she just turns to me and says, Oh, do you want to make out? I was like, Oh, yes, of course. Uh, so we make out for a bit, and as she's leaving my car, I, I squeak out, uh, I can pick you up from the airport, and she says, oh, yeah, that'd be great. And then she goes on her trip, and yeah, a month later, I come and pick her up from the airport. We've gone on, um, I think, like three more dates since then, and I'm driving her to the airport tomorrow morning.
It's almost always the same, right? I show up and there's a ton of traffic and it takes me longer than I had imagined. It can take me 40 minutes from the entrance of the airport to Terminal 7, which is, he flies United. So even with the shortcut, it's still 40 minutes and it's incredibly frustrating. Cars are blocking the lanes, honking, trying to move over three lanes because they're about to miss their turn in. I'm actually pretty chill, but it's maddening. And then meanwhile, I see a phone call comes in from him and I dreadfully answer the call. I know what's about to happen. And he says, why didn't you leave earlier? You know it's going to be hell on earth. I've been traveling for seven hours or whatever it's been, and now I'm standing here waiting for you. I could have taken an Uber if you weren't going to be here on time. And it turns into a huge argument. I finally get there. He gets in the car, and we're both super sour. There's no kiss hello. It's not romantic. There's no I missed you so much. It's silence or it's bickering as we make our way home, and then... I tell myself I'll never do this again, but then I do it <laughs> over and over and over again. I've done this. When I was a, a, a teenager growing up in West Los Angeles and a group of us would uh, be hard pressed, I mean really hard pressed to find something interesting or fun to do. We would, one of us would say, let's, let's just go to LAX and run around and be crazy and greet people when they came off airplanes and wish people well as they were getting ready to take off. And that's what we did. It was complete insanity. And then of course everything changed and, and there was no more fun going to an airport. I never have friends or family take me to LAX. I always get a car service or Lyft or Uber or a taxi because it's such an ongoing disaster and it just baffles me that it's gotten, it keeps getting worse and worse and it's ne there's no good solution it seems like. I remember coming in and I think it was, I was, must have been on United and came into gate seven, gate seven and I car was picking me up and the poor guy, he was stuck over like around two and it took him over an hour to even take that shortcut to get to me at seven. It's just, if I could fly from any other airport, I would. You know, my close friends are my chosen family and I will do a lot for them. They will do a lot for me. Um, there are lots of things that you would do for your chosen family that you're not going to do for other people, like hold their hair back when they barf or help them move. Driving to LAX is just one of those things. I grew up in Pasadena, so driving to LAX was just a massive undertaking. It involved, like, you know, sacrificing an unblemished goat and, you know, praying for rain, that sort of thing. Um, and so I am a little bit more relaxed about driving to LAX. Now that I've moved to Mid-City, it's way less of a stressful hassle. But somehow with all of the construction, you know, getting to within a mile of LAX is relatively easy. It's that last mile between the LAX area and the terminal that seems to be coming like more of a Dante-esque hellscape. 
That was Oliver Gotch, Carol Mendelson, Neil Resnick, Leslie Waxman, and Aaron Berggren. Thank you for your response and for submitting your story of love and strife at LAX. That's going to do it for us today. Check us out online anytime at kcrw.com slash greaterla. Subscribe to the podcast, too, won't you? And you can get that podcast, by the way, wherever you get your podcast. Thanks so much for your support of this radio station. Juliana Mayo, Nihar Patel, Sonia Guy, Sue Margulies, Phil Richards, Brian Skipworth, Amy Ta, Carlos Ramirez, Mike Vogel, and Christian Bordal all helped put this evening's episode together. I'm Steve Chitakis. Thanks for your time and your ears. Have a great night.